Rebecca's cousin and her girls came and visited us for a couple of days, a couple months ago. Uh, when they arrived, they came in, we all caught up for a few minutes, and then they went out and unloaded their bags. We helped them carry their stuff in, and, and we showed them which rooms they'd be using. And, and after they knew where they were sleeping and where the bathroom was, I said something to the effect of, just make yourselves at home. I said it, but I didn't really mean it. What I mean is, when, when, when I said make yourselves at home, what I meant was, feel free to use this room for a couple of nights, right? You can sit in that chair, and you can put your stuff on that table, and you can sleep in that bed, and, and, uh, and, and you can use the towels in the bathroom. Uh, you, can, you can hang some stuff in the closet if you want, and feel free to grab breakfast from the pantry, and there's the coffee pot. But that's about... That's about the, uh, the extent of what I meant when I said, make yourself at home. I, I said it, but we all knew that they weren't at home, right? They were, they were just visiting. At home, I can rearrange the furniture if I want to. I can paint. I mow. If something breaks, I fix it or call somebody to fix it. I, I unload the dishwasher. I hang pictures on the walls. I vacuum. If I want to, I can knock out a wall, a wall and remodel, right? I, I, it's my house. I can do what I want because I'm at home. If Rebecca's cousin had started rearranging the living room furniture or hanging pictures on the wall, it would have been kind of awkward because they weren't at home. They, I mean, they were welcome guests for sure. We thoroughly enjoyed our time together. We're, we're closer now because of the time that we shared with them over those couple of days. But, but they were just visiting. They weren't at home. We've been, we've been walking through the essentials of our faith this fall and we've, we've studied aspects about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and last week was a, was a great look at what happens when we repent of our sin and, and we accept God's offer of grace. We, we, we experience what has been referred to, uh, in, throughout, uh, uh, in, in, in the church circles for, for a long time. Salvation, right? We talked about different aspects of that. Justification, regeneration, adoption, all those shun words, right? And, and, uh, we said, we're saved and if if you uh, if you miss those messages well those are all they live on the on the worldwide interweb right and you can access those through the through the church uh uh website the the audio or the video or both and uh anyway uh love for if you missed any of those feel free to to go back and listen to it but but we've we've hit we've hit the the it seems like we've hit a lot of the biggies of these essentials for the first four weeks we've We've covered the three persons of God. We've covered how sin separates us from God, how we can have that relationship restored. We can be saved from our sins because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And all of those things are extremely important. They're vital. They're essential. But we're not done. <laughs> there are more essentials to our faith. And, and uh, today we've come to an essential that our church, the Church of the Nazarene, emphasizes maybe more than, more than some some other churches. Whether you knew it or not, when you stepped into Medina Naz, you encountered a denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, that was birthed out of the holiness movement uh, over 115 years ago. Around the, uh, t the turn of the century, there were pockets of Christians across the country who were, who were uh, fed up with dry, stale church experiences and, and were convinced that the Bible described something deeper. A, a spiritual experience of being holy in our daily lives. 
We're one of a few denominations who were, who were birthed out of that emphasis uh, on entire sanctification. There's another shun word. There we go. I, I, entire sanctification. I know that that seems like quite a term to wrap your minds around before noon on a Sunday. I mean, that's, that's, we're, we're really getting into it, right? I'm, I'm making you think a little bit. But, but it's vital to our understanding uh, to, uh, to, to, to see the, the possibility, the depth of what is possible in our spiritual lives. I, I mean, it's... It's essential. We don't want Jesus to just be a visitor in our lives. We want him to make himself at home in our hearts. I told you last week that there is original sin that we're born with. There are two different big two different types of sin, right? The original sin that we're born with, our sin nature, it's that that bent or that draw toward sinning and selfishness. And then there's the personal sin, the sins that we commit, the, the, the things that we actually choose, I'm going to do this. And we have this original sin, and that's kind of pulling us toward that uh, sin. And, uh, but then that personal sin is what we, what we commit. And when we believe in Jesus, we repent, we commit to following him, we're, we're saved from our personal sins, right? We're, we're forgiven, we're given new life, we're heading in the right direction, we're adopted into the family of God. Sin no longer is on the throne of my heart. But it's still kind of hanging around. Dr. John uh, Knight, past general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene, put it this way. Uh, he writes, in justification, we are delivered from the past or the guilt of sin. Simultaneously, in regeneration, we are delivered from the power of sin. In entire sanctification, we are delivered from the pollution of sin. Uh, Another way to, to say it, I guess, is salvation deals with personal sin while, while sanctification deals with original sin. And the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to overcome both. Not, not only has he paid the penalty for our personal sins, but because he has overcome sin and death, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, can root out that original sin inside of us. We can have victory. The Bible describes to us that we can be delivered from sin. I, I quoted last week, week the, the end of Romans 7, uh, where after, after Paul kind of bemoans the, uh, the effects of, of the demoralizing sin nature in his life, then he declares, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm dealing with it. Paul says, I'm dealing with all this stuff. There's a sin that, that I don't want to do, but I do it anyway. But, but thanks be to God who delivers. And then, and then he goes on. So we have the chapters and we go, okay, well, chapter seven's over here and chapter, well, well, it's one big thought for Paul. And chapter eight expands on all of that and, and shows that, that it's possible. Actually, it's expected that we live a holy life, that we're, that we're uh, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're entirely sanctified. So I want to look at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8 today as we uh, uh, drill down on this concept of entire sanctification. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. There is there is so much there. Um, we, we studied at length the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago. So we we've uh, been looking a little bit about at uh, at um, these different aspects. And, and we looked at the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago and, and who he is and what he does. He he guides us and comforts us and counsels us and convicts us. And, and in relation to living holy lives, uh, the spirit purifies us and empowers us. After we come to God, we repent of our sins. Uh, he saves us. We, we start to, to learn and to grow, right? He, he points out things that need to change, attitudes or, or habits or, or secrets. And, and he brings those things to light and we begin to change. We grow, we mature. And that process continues, I don't know, but weeks, months, maybe even years before at some point we sense this need for something more in our Christian journey. It's, it's where Paul found himself as, as, as he was frustrated there at the end of, uh, of Romans chapter seven, uh, when he wanted to do right, he didn't be, seem to be able to. And so he cries out, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And maybe you've been there, been frustrated that that it just didn't seem like you could really live the way the Bible and the church and the pastor says you're supposed to or the way they want you to. As we just read there in Romans chapter 8, the answer lies in letting the Spirit have complete control of your life. It's what, what the holiness tradition, where our church has come out of, the holiness tradition has referred to as uh, this as a second work of grace, where we come to the place of, okay, I'm saved and now I'm growing, but something's gotta, cause I'm just keep wrestling with it. God, do something more in me. It's the second work of grace. Now you might push back and you say, Pastor, I, I, second work, I don't, I don't quite, I don't want quite follow you here. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor, you said that, 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 that when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. So are you saying we just get a, a little bit of the Holy Spirit there and then, and now we gotta go back and, get another dip or something, get a little more. It's not that we just get some of the Holy Spirit. We get all of him when we're saved, but but he doesn't yet have all of us. When I'm saved, I receive all of the Holy Spirit. When I'm sanctified, he receives all of me. I believe with all of my heart that that Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 8 an experience that God desires for for all of us to not just be saved from sin and muddle through life always struggling, but to be filled with the Spirit of God himself. We can live by the Spirit as he lives in us. John Wesley used uh, used the image of a house to describe our life with God. 
He said that, that salvation is like the door, the entry point where we step across that threshold into, into new life. He said that repentance is the porch, something that, that we have to experience or walk through in order to gain salvation. So we, so we walk across the porch of repentance and then we come to the threshold of salvation. And then Wesley says that sanctification is the house itself. It, it's where we live out our salvation. Now, newlyweds know that crossing the threshold is a momentous occasion, right? Uh, it's, it's special. It sig- signifies a dramatic, life-altering event. But standing in the doorway for hours, relishing that moment, would be silly. And repeating that entrance over and over again would be ridiculous. After entering the home, the bride and groom settle down to the task of building their new life together and our spiritual lives are similar the the moment we enter into a relationship with God is is so significant it's the beginning of a whole new life but to suggest that salvation is all there is or to, to stress that that experience uh, to neg- and the, to the neglect of living a holy life uh, that distorts the gospel that's why Wesley gave strong attention to to the life and not just the event of salvation it's it's living that life that is possible only through the Holy Spirit. Maybe, uh, maybe another metaphor helps. Uh, let's, let's say that, that life is like driving a car. You're tooling along, making your own decisions, going wherever you want to go, doing whatever you want to do. But at some point, uh, uh, whatever your story is, at some point you pull over to the side and you let Jesus in and uh, he gets in the back seat, right? He climbs into the back seat of your life and, and he starts to give directions. And uh, you're still driving, but he's given directions. And, and he says, oh, turn, turn right up here. And, and you do. And, and it's, it's great. And you're tooling along and Jesus is in the back seat of your life and everything's great. And, and then he says, turn left. And you do. And, and it's, it's great. And, and it, everything's going great. And, and then he says, wait here a while. And you do for a little while, but then you get kind of anxious and you think, don't you think we better go? And then you go ahead and go before he tells you to. And. And things don't quite work out right. And then he says to go straight, but you turn because it looks a whole lot better over there because, because you're still driving. Sanctification, to follow the metaphor, is when you finally get sick of driving and you pull over and you switch places with Jesus and he drives and you're in the back seat. Just, just another word picture to help us start to understand the difference between being saved from our sins and being sanctified as, as, as God cleanses us from sin. Living a holy life certainly means adhering to certain standards of, of morality and, and God's standards of righteousness. We, we, we can't meet those standards though, right? With, without the Holy Spirit. But, but when we yield ourselves to God completely and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to control us, He gives us the power. He develops His character in us. Not only does God, God give us the standards, but then He enables us to meet those standards through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, theologian F.F. F. Bruce put it this way. He says, God's commands have now become God's enablings. So He not only commands you to do it, but He enables you with His power to do it as well. Uh, there, there's a poem that was re- written centuries ago. It says, to run and work, the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and it gives me wings. God's commands have become God's enabling. Sanctification 
is God's work. We cannot make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. Uh, Jesus made it possible by overcoming sin and the Holy Spirit purifies us and empowers us to live holy lives. But but there there are some things still that, that are our part, our responsibility in this process. If we're talking about sanctification and how does this work? And and it's not just that God zaps us uh, and automatically we're, we're uh, shiny and clean and, and perfect and pure and all that is great. No, we, we have a partnership here. There are several things that, 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 that we must uh, do as we partner with God in experiencing his sanctifying grace. And the, the first one is consecration. I just had to get another shun word in there because you haven't had enough yet. Consecration, consecrating. It means dedicating something for a sacred purpose. If I'm going to consecrate something, I'm setting something aside for a, for a, a, a sacred purpose. When I consecrate my life to God, I'm, I'm surrendering my whole life to his control. He's driving, remember? So he's in charge. He's in control. He's the one who makes me holy, but only after I give him complete access to my life. I, I can't hold anything back. I remember uh, being in a revival services Years ago, uh, the, the evangelist was, was preaching all about sanctification and holiness, a lot of this stuff. And, and, uh, uh, that night was, was specifically about sanctification and holiness. And he talked about this idea of consecration, about giving God everything. And, and we need to, we need to give him our past and the things that we've dealt with in the past. And we, we need to give him our, our, our present, uh, you know, I'm coming to God completely and just offering him everything, right? And, and at that, at that point, I was, I mean, I was all in. I didn't need to, to go and pray or do anything because, because I was all in. I'd already given everything to God. I was, I was, uh, I was there. I was, I was with Him. And, and then the evangelist went on to mention something that, uh, uh, something that, that, that we needed to give to God that I'd never heard before. And I guess it's an old timey saying. Uh, maybe you've heard it before. Uh, but, uh, I had not heard it growing up. Uh, he said that we needed to give God the unknown bundle. And I said, huh? I didn't probably say it out loud, but I thought it. The unknown, the unknown bundle. Seems, seems a little weird. Seems a little weird even saying it right now. What he's describing is the fact that up until that point, I knew everything that I was giving to God, right? I was giving him my time, I was giving him my relationships, I was giving him my career, I was giving him my, my marriage, I was giving him uh, the, the, the past that led to these things, I'm giving him my thought life, I was give, I'm giving him everything, I'm letting God guide my entire life and I had a pretty good idea of what that meant and I was checking it off, so to speak, I'm giving God everything, God you can have everything of my life. But then he said this unknown bundle thing is that there are some things that God might require of me in the future. And, and I have no idea what those things are right now. It's, it's like that bundle of stuff that I don't even know about. But God wants that too. <laughs> I, I mean, basically what that evangelist was, was describing, he was asking me to say yes to God before I even knew the question. And that's included in consecration. 
I'm going to say yes to God in everything, no matter what. I'm coming to God with no strings attached. I'm, I'm surrender. It might be a, a word of surrender. It might be, uh, Romans 12 talks about a living sacrifice. We're sacrificing our lives so that God can live his life in us and through us. And so when he says, whatever he's going to, whatever he says, whatever he's going to say, it's already a yes. I'm going to follow you. Consecration. We've got to come to that place where we're not holding anything back, but we're willing to give God everything. Only, only then can He fill us with His Spirit and sanctify us entirely. Another thing that's included in that then is, is obedience. Uh, we'll say we're going to say yes, but then we have to go ahead and do it, right? Romans 8 says that we need to live according to the Spirit. We need to obey. Uh, although we've, we've given everything to God, when it comes up there, we, we need to go ahead and follow through on that, right? We have to live for God and for good in ever, in all of our everyday decisions. There's still going to be temptations. Uh, the, the devil is still alive and active and, and we still have to, 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 uh, to resist him. But remember, if, if the Holy Spirit is living in our, in our hearts and lives, uh, then we're not controlled by the sinful nature anymore. And so as we learn and grow uh, and, uh, and, and we face the temptations of life, uh, they, they uh, well, I don't know, I, my experience has been that it becomes a little easier to, to uh, hold those things off. It, it, it gets easier the further you go with God. Uh, we still need to obey, and, and it's still difficult at times, but, but we're living according to the Spirit. We're not living according to that sinful nature anymore. Obedience, we have to make the choice. Obedience is our responsibility. We consecrate everything to God. We give him everything, and then we obey at every turn. But then Romans 8 also describes something that I guess I've, I don't know whether this is the right word or not, but I said mindfulness. I'm not talking about about meditating or anything that you've you've heard along those lines these days about mindfulness, but Verses 5 through 8 in Romans 8 talk about what we fill our minds with. We need to dwell on holy things, the things of God, scripture, prayer, community, worship, uh, study. The, the best way to avoid sinful things is to fill your time, your life, your mind with the things of God. You'll be slipping back into sin if you set your mind on sinful things. You'll, you'll become hostile to God, it says there in Romans 8. You won't submit to him. You, you can't please him. But if you have the Holy Spirit, then he is controlling you. And, and the opposite is true. You can please him. You have a Holy Spirit mindset focused on his desires. Now, you might say, well, are you saying that I'm going to be perfect I'm never going to make a mistake. I, no, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all, but there's a big difference between sin and mistakes. Sins, we, I told you last week, uh, Wesley defines sin as a willful transgression of a known law of God. It's when we willfully choose against God and his way. Uh, he says, do this, and we say, no, I don't think so, and we go this way. We have chosen to sin. Uh, a mistake is neither intended nor known at the, or known, not known at the time. Sanctification is, is, is about our intent. Our actions might not be flawless, but our intentions are pure. John Knight again says, we can be freed from sin in its primary sense and be granted a pure heart in an instant. However, we are not freed instantly from mistakes, ignorance, poor judgment, and so on. 
These are to be corrected or improved, and character is to be developed through growth in grace. I don't know how old I was, maybe seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. I remember riding in the back seat of a car uh, with church friends on the way to church camp. Nothing can go wrong when you're with church friends on the way to church camp, right? At some point, my two friends challenged me to, uh, they, they thought it might be fun to get the, get the kid in the middle to, uh, to do a little something. And they challenged me to stick up my middle finger out the back window at the car behind us. I didn't see any harm in that. I'd never heard of that form of communication before. So I wanted to do what my friends wanted me to do, and so I did exactly what they, what they wanted. I raised my hand high, and I flipped the bird to the driver behind us and whoever else might be looking. My friends laughed. I realized in that moment I'd probably done something wrong, but I didn't find out until later what I had actually been communicating out the window on the way to church camp. It wasn't a willful act of defiance, right? I hadn't raised my middle finger with the intent of cursing or belittling the driver in the car behind me. I I didn't even know it was wrong. According to Wesley's definition then, it wasn't sin. I I think it probably was for my two little friends on either side of me in the back seat at that point. I'm pretty sure that they knew what what was going on. But but it was wrong, yes. Should I have done it? No, but it was a mistake. As long as we live in this life, we will deal with the fallen, sinful world around us. Mistakes will be made, but mistakes aren't sin. We will continue to grow in grace as we mature in our faith. And when we are tempted to sin, we are not doomed to give in. Sin, if we're entirely sanctified, sin is not rooted inside of you anymore. Those who are entirely sanctified have the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit filling them so they can resist temptation. I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to sin. Romans 8, just, I mean, throughout. Let me just pull a few, a few uh, uh, phrases out here. Uh, verse 1 says, there's no, now no condemnation. Verse 2, in Christ, the law of the spirit of life sets me free. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Verse 6, verse 9, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. Verse 10, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And, and uh, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The difference between being saved and being sanctified is a lot like the difference between being Jesus being a guest in your home or inviting him to make himself at home in your life. Years ago, I don't remember the first time, years ago I ran across uh, a little pamphlet by, by Robert Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, it, it basically, it, the whole thing is, is a metaphor of, of inviting Jesus to come into the home of your heart. And so then he, he walks through uh, uh, different rooms. He goes room to room describing what it's like to, uh, to give Jesus more and more access to your life. And so they go into this room and, and he cleans this up and they go into this room and he cleans this up. And, and, uh, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but I do want to read the last section. He says this. I, I, I think you'll... I think you'll relate to this. He, he says, there's just one more matter that I might share with you. One day I found Jesus waiting for me at the door. There was an arresting look in his eye. He said to me as I entered, there is a peculiar odor in this house. 
There is something dead around here. It's upstairs, and I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said the words, I knew what he was talking about. Yes, there was a small hall closet up there on the landing, just a few feet square, and in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anybody to know about, and I certainly did not want Christ to see. I knew they were dead and rotting things, and yet I loved them. And I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were there. I went up the stairs with him, and as we mounted, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed at the door and said, it's in there, some dead thing. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library and the dining room and the drawing room and the workshop and the rumpus room. And now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. And I said inwardly, this is too much. I am not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this odor, you are mistaken. I'll take my bed out to the back porch. I am certainly not going to put up with that. And I saw him start down the stairs. When you've come to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense his fellowship retreating from you. I had to surrender. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open the closet. You'll have to clean it out. I, I don't have the strength to do it. I know, he said. I, I know you don't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him, and he took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there, and threw it away. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it, fixed it up, doing it all in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. Then a thought came to me. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this Heart of mine clear for Christ. I start in one room and no sooner have I cleaned it than another room gets dirty and I, I begin on the second room and the first room becomes dusty again. I'm, I'm so tired of and, and weary trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life. I am just, I just am not up to it. So I ventured a question. Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the responsibility of the whole house and operate it for me? With me just, and with me just as you did that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? I could see his face light up as he replied, certainly that's, that's what I came to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. That is impossible. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But, he added slowly, I am not the owner of this house. I'm just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. <laughs> I saw it in a minute and dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I have been the host. From now on, I am going to be the servant and you are going to be my Lord. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, its situation and condition, and then returning to him, I eagerly signed it over to belong to him alone for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and have 
forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as houseboy and friend. The last paragraph says this. He took my life that day, and I can give you my word. There is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it in shape, and deep peace settles down on my soul. May Christ settle down and be at home in your heart as Lord of all.